0: podcast from your local library. I'm your host, Alan and today I'm joined by Faith. Hello, hello. Faith, this is your first time on the podcast. It is. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I am so excited about all these new people I get to record with. Um, So what exactly do you do here at
1: EVPL? Oh, well, um, I work in the marketing department. My title is visual design specialist. So I work on uh, the graphics, uh, like our uh, monthly programming publications, and really anything that has to do with visual stuff for the library. So do you make the website? I, I don't, actually. Um, I might make some graphics, but that is actually uh, Heather in our department.
0: That does okay, it. yeah, mm-hmm. cool. So you are here today in the month of March to talk about women's history. Yes. And we each have some things that we research, so we kind of looked for librarians mm-hmm. uh, that are a big deal throughout history for this. And I have some information on the Pack Horse Librarians. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And you were researching what again? Um, her name was Mary Letmist Titcomb. Quite mm-hmm.
1: a name. Um, she was a really cool lady from uh, the mid-19th century. And, uh, you know, she actually started the bookmobile. The whole phenomenon and all that. Awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with the horses mm-hmm. and then move into cars. And they do kind of just yeah. roll straight into each other. Pretty sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the... Packhorse librarians actually have been a little bit more in the public, so some people may have heard of them recently. If anyone's read the book, The Bookwoman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson, that is all about packhorse librarians in this kind of era. It's really popular. It's a great book. You can pick it up at EVPL. But for those of you who don't know about Pack Horse Librarians, this is a phenomenon that happened during the Great Depression in the 1930s, and specifically it was in like eastern Kentucky, Appalachia, and that whole area. Uh, Do you know anything about that area at that time? Uh, Not necessarily.
1: Um, Why don't you enlighten me? Give me some more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So during the Great Depression, Mm -hmm. it was horrible for everyone everywhere, but Mm -hmm. Appalachia was especially hard hit. Mm. They had higher unemployment than the national average. They had fewer resources to work with. There were very few schools. This was a time when electricity was becoming pretty standard in most places, and Appalachia still didn't have, like, electricity or running water or things like that. Oh, wow. So, like, very poor kind of area. Yes, extremely mm-hmm. poor. Mm-hmm. And uh they didn't even really have railroads through the area at this point yet. That was kind of like the next big thing and mm-hmm. everyone was sort of waiting for that work to come through town. Okay. But things got worse before it got better. Really the only thing that there was was coal mines. And since a bunch of companies went out of business, a bunch of those coal mines shut down, so then there was really nothing. And not only that, but since it was a mountain area, it's very rocky soil, it's very hard to garden in, so you can't really grow your own food, and there's just nothing to do. So this is where we get some help from the federal government. This is probably the stuff you know a bit more about the Great Depression, and it's a lot of the stuff that you hit in your standard history classes. So you get the Works Progress Administration. Have you heard of that one? Yes, I have. Yes, yes mm-hmm. and you also get the New Deal. Mm-hmm. Franklin Delano Roosevelt established these uh, systems Mm -hmm. to help create jobs and kind of pull people out of poverty. Mm -hmm. So this was a lot of manual labor. It was a lot of stuff like building roads, um, schools, hospitals, things like that to kind of make both cities function better and give people work. So you're hitting two birds with one stone. Mm -hmm. Didn't part of that New Deal also build like homes as well? I believe so, but I think it was more like the work enabled people to have money to build homes. Okay, okay. So it's Mm -hmm. you know it all works together. Yeah, (laughs) because yeah, my house was built in the middle of the 30s. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So that's fun. Uh, In addition to the president, Eleanor Roosevelt was also a big part of this as well. She would frequently do tours around the country to see like how these programs were working and find out what other help people needed. And then she would come back to Washington, D.C. to give the president new ideas and um, share what she'd heard. Great lady. She she worked a lot of ways in the government with him. And oh, stuff. yeah. yeah. <laughs> she is also really the one who pushed mm-hmm. for jobs that were appropriate for, like, women and programs that would help women and children and not just, like, find the men work, leave the women and children. So she really was kind of innovative in that sense. And uh, that is why there were a lot of programs involving, like, seamstressing so like making quilts or new clothes and also she was a big push for the pack horse librarians she realized that this was a job that women could do that would be respectable and the federal government then supplied the salary for them these librarians were typically women but men could do this as well they would either own a horse or rent a horse if they didn't own one And they would ride 18 to 20 miles a day to deliver books to small towns in Appalachia. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. That'd be hard work. (laughs) Oh yeah. There is a lot of information about like how it was constantly Mm. flooded and they had to like hold the book packs like higher up on their shoulders instead of leaving them on the horse because they were like knee deep in mud. I could not do that. (laughs) And also like, like I said, there were no railroads or anything. There were no roads. You were just going down, like, these little tiny paths that families had beaten to get from one house to another. Salary for this was about a dollar a day. A, a dollar? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it worked out to about $28 a month, which is pretty good, I guess. Yeah, you know, for the time, you know. Yeah. So I I also, like, I looked up a few salaries and things. I saw that, like, doctors during this time would make about $60 a month. Huh. So I feel like $28 isn't too bad. No, it could always be worse, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. The thing is, when this program was started, the communities had to supply their own books.
1: I wonder how they managed that. A lot Mm
0: -hmm. of it was (laughs) donations from, you know, local schools would donate books from their library, from their teachers. Mm -hmm. Families would donate, like, magazines and stuff like that. And there were some fundraisers as well. I saw one statistic that showed um, a community raised a hundred and three dollars. Wow. Which is a big sum. Yeah. And they were able to buy a hundred and thirty one books. Oh man. Which is pretty impressive. Like that's more than we could probably get. Yeah,
1: that probably. Yeah, especially when the salary was twenty eight dollars comparing to that. That's mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. There is a really good description of pack horse librarians in this book called "Downcut Cut Shin Creek by Kathy Appel and Janine Canella-Schmitzer. And that is actually a children's book that you can get here at Central Library in our read section. Um, it's really cool. Uh, they describe it saying, The way it worked was simple. The WPA paid the salaries for the librarians to maintain a headquarters, usually at the county seat, and carry books on horseback throughout the county. Their circuits worked out so that new books were dropped off at center one and the books already there would be taken to center two and so on. So it's kind of like a bigger version of our messenger system, but all with horses. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and the centers might be places like a school building or a community center or a post office, but also these women would deliver books to individual houses as well in the more remote areas. A lot of people requested poetry. They requested things like children books and picture books since they were easy to follow. And this area had about a 30% illiteracy rate. So that it was a great way for them to kind of like start learning to read. And then that would also help them find work later on. Mm-hmm. A lot of times these librarians would also... Uh, when they visited those small settlements, especially like one or two individual houses, they would sit down and read aloud with their patrons. So,
1: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So it wasn't just books. It was like a little story time with them as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a quote from one woman who actually did this. Uh, her name is Mary Ruth Dieter. And she says, we always sat under a big old chestnut tree. No one knew how to read, so I would read them the books again and again so they could understand it, and then they would have time to practice. Oh,
1: that's really sweet. Aww. I know, It's
0: so cute. One of my favorite things, too, is that they didn't just do, like, books. They brought, like, magazines and stuff as well. And since those are a bit more flimsy, what they would do is when the magazine started to get old or if any of their books got damaged, they would build their own scrapbooks and deliver those instead. Oh, so I do have a couple pictures here for you oh, to look yes. at.
1: And you said that sometimes they'd have to rent the horses. Yes. Did they ever say how much it was to rent?
0: Yes. So I saw um, one woman rented a horse from her neighbor for 50 cents a week. 50 cents a week. Wow. Mm-hmm. And those are some examples oh. of the scrapbooks. Now, the scrapbooks, I when I first read about them, I pictured them as like very elaborate things. Yeah. But they're just spiral bound notebooks like you would find today, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah, really. With just little cutout photos, black mm-hmm. and white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they would make the scrapbooks when they weren't doing their routes. This would be kind of like for us, this would be like getting in new books mm-hmm. and processing them. They were sitting somewhere, uh, cutting up old magazines to like make something more useful. Oh, that's really cool. They would include pictures poems, um, recipes, sewing patterns, sometimes even music and news articles. And so that was the only way a lot of these people would get, like, world news and things like that. That's definitely uh, something I would never even think that they would do with that kind of stuff. So that's really cool
1: Mm -hmm. to learn.
0: So that's kind of how the Pack Horse Librarians worked and what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, And Faith, I have a fun activity for you. Oh, you do now? Yes. So I have here... Nine pages oh. of the prices of goods during the Great Depression. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I would like you to picture this. Okay. You are a pack horse librarian. All right. Your no good husband left <laughs> for work and you haven't heard from him in months. Okay. So you are supporting your two little children all alone. And you have just completed your first week of work, and you have a whole $6. $6. $6. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to hand you this list, and I want to know what you are buying to feed your family. Oh, man.
1: $6. Let's see. Bread's only 5 cents? Yeah. Wow.
0: Let's see. Yeah, this is not, like, an impossible challenge. No.
1: Do two loaves of bread. Oh, wait. There's bread, and then there's sliced bread? Mm-hmm. That's a... Okay. Um, I think I can save three cents and do my own bread. <laughs> okay. Oh, my goodness. Grapefruits, 25 cents. Jell-O.
0: Kids love Jell-O. Navy beans, oats. Now, before you get too far into this, yeah. do remember, uh, it's quite possible you have to rent your horse. Oh, that's true. You're right. So if you have to rent your horse, you're spending 50 cents a week on that. And you also need to take into account you're probably paying rent unless your husband owned your house. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. So you're, <laughs> so you're probably renting and you can find rent on the last page of that list. Last page. So let's
1: see. Six dollars. Wow. So it looks like the one I can afford is a two-bedroom, one bath for twelve dollars a month. Twelve dollars a month. If it's so just me
0: paying, yeah. So Yeah. So you'll want to save some of your money to go towards rent. Oh my
1: goodness. So let's say you're gonna make me do math, aren't you? So let's say rent. I can't do math. Twelve divided by four uh, is three. 3 yeah. Oh my god, that's basic math. <laughs> so it's three dollars a week? I only got three more dollars left. And you said it's fifty cents a week for a horse? Yep. Horse rent. Oh my gosh, I only have two fifty. Well, We're not going to be eating much. It's probably just going to be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a week. Mm -hmm. If there is jelly in here and milk, 20 cents, 25 cents. Let's do 25 cents for milk.
0: Flour. No. I would say like you probably have all of your like staples. Yeah. You have like your flour, your sugar. Yeah. This is like. Goodness. What what else do you need to get through? Bread. Bread.
1: At five cents, you know, where's the peanut butter?
0: Is there peanut butter back then?
1: You know, I think I might do 15 cents. I think we're just going to do that right there and Bread I'll save and the butter. rest. Bread and peanut butter and milk. <laughs> and then the rest, I man, that's harder than you think. $6? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I can send a There we go.
0: I don't know what's left there. <laughs> so let's see if you're saving 3.50 All right, 25 so that's 75 80 95 that's three ninety five, and then three cents for bread.
1: Uh, I think. Uh, I think so. Mm-hmm.
0: So you will be spending three ninety eight. Yeah. So you'll have a dollar and a little bit left. Yes, I'll save that because you never know. You
1: never know. <laughs> you never this know. Is true. <laughs> Man, it's like things seem really cheap back then. But when you have a limited budget with how people got paid, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And you would also have to take into account, you know, things like... Clothing that gets worn out, Mm -hmm. like if your kids outgrow their shoes and that kind of thing. That's
1: true. And then, like, electricity. Well, you said there was no electricity in that area, correct? I'm imagining I'm there, you know, water and all
0: those other things, Mm -hmm. too. So, who knows? Yeah, you probably, if you did have electricity, would be trying very hard not to use it. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) for sure. And this is also why a lot of people at that time, you know, would. Uh, do like rent shares, like boarding houses, so mm-hmm. you would pay less to get like one room in a shared house and then mm-hmm. help pitch in for meals and things that like that. That makes sense. Probably why a lot of people lived, big families lived together and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was kind of the 30s. And these programs did exist kind of through the early World War II era, but they sort of petered out around that time because things were better. Improvements had been made and uh, the economy had pretty much recovered. And that brings us into other ways of getting books to people. Yes, and I'm going to uh, take it back, actually, to
1: 1852. You Wait, know? what? Yeah,
0: 1852. Um,
1: now, this is when she was born. So, you know, it's like right around the area when Mary was... Uh, was born i just repeated myself but uh basically this was like the beginning of libraries okay. so you know it's it like uh let's see she was born in farmington new hampshire mm-hmm. for sure and um, to a very
0: poor family and you said it was 1850 1852 is when she was born let's see what else was going on yes. in the year 1852 <laughs> oh it was a leap year oh a well, leap year <laughs> Okay, so this was the year the first American experimental steam fire engine was tested. Oh, mm-hmm. it was the year Uncle Tom's Cabin was published. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Frederick Douglass delivered his famous speech What to the Slave is Fourth of July? Yeah. So there's a, a lot of weird stuff happening here yes, all at the same time. There
1: it is and uh at this time too you know libraries weren't what we consider now. Those mm-hmm. libraries they were very much more for the uh, rich or those who were in education or like teaching and things like that. Mm-hmm. And also very male dominated, oh, a yeah. <laughs> very male dominated space. Um, and so in 1852, she was born in Farmington um, into a very, very poor family, um, but she had two brothers and a sister. And for, for very fortunately for her, her parents believed in a good good education and Which so they
0: did not always happen exactly, for women at the time exactly
1: exactly especially if you're poor and you work on a farm and all that and so they took her uh, to another town nearby called Exeter it's in New Hampshire but it, they had a really oh, good yeah. school for the boys and stuff and so she was able to go to Robinson Female Seminary school and studied French and German quite quite an education yeah, to start with that's there impressive. um and she learned upon graduation that there was really not much to do as a woman other than teaching And being a nurse, Um, her brother actually was a doctor, but she, so she was like, Oh, maybe I can try to be a nurse with him. Um, But she learned that she's actually very squeamish with blood. So she's like, this is not going to work out for me at all. Um, And so one day, she just happened to come across a church bulletin about the field of librarianship. And she's like, you know that I like to read. I'm going to try that and see how that goes for me. Um, and at the time, there was no formal training
0: at all. And mm-hmm. so she had to do an apprenticeship. Yeah. yeah. I heard that was <laughs> kind of like what librarianship used to be. Um, like what most things used exactly,
1: to be. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, she ended up moving to Concord, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I said that so wrong. But she that's where she moved to. And she started as an unpaid assistant. Now that sounds horrible. Working like forty hours or probably more back then, and not mm-hmm. getting paid for it, and as a, a single woman, especially back in that time, that that had to be pretty difficult. Yikes! Yeah, because I don't think um, I, I couldn't really find any research on how like where she stayed or mm-hmm. maybe if she had family there. what really wasn't touched upon. So yeah.
0: It- Probably, if I had to guess, either family or like maybe she was like an au pair or something.
1: Maybe, hopefully, you know. Yeah. Hopefully. It was really successful for her because she later became uh, the cataloger at Ruther, sorry, at Rutherland Free Library in Vermont. And then she became chief librarian. So she kind of found her footing and she Mm -hmm. really, really loved uh, what she was doing and everything. So for.
0: them chief librarian would be like our director or CEO, correct right? yes correct or like okay. in charge of like
1: everything um, she might have a couple other people under her but you know really she was in charge of pretty much everything you can think of yeah mm. but you also have to keep in mind that the libraries then are very different to what we are now so mm-hmm. basically it was a, a really small collection especially um, with those libraries back then you know serving just the inner community mm-hmm. basically those who were like uh, walking distance away if yeah. that. so a lot smaller <laughs> than what What we have now um, an an interesting tidbit. She loved working in a library so much that she actually applied uh, in 1893 to work in the women's building library at the World Chicago Fair. So that that was kind of happening right now. Yeah. Uh, But funny enough, uh, Mr. Meville Dewey, yes, the guy that created the Dewey Decimal System, basically rejected her application and said... Girl, no. You got to be working more. Um, you have to be known outside of of just your little town in order for me to think that you're good enough to to work there.
0: Oh, we love him and we yes. hate him very much.
1: <clears throat> yes, and so it. <laughs> and so, um, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know the libraries at the time were very predominant leader, or, or it was very led by men, um, and it wasn't till like after the 1900s that really women got involved. Mm-hmm. Like I learned that AL, ALA, the American Library Association, yes, yes, uh, they didn't elect their first woman uh, president until 1911. Mm-hmm. So she was like really in a weird time where like, are women doing this? Are they not
0: doing this? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's kind of an interesting time. It's also <laughs> funny to look at now because I think EVPL is something like 70. percent Yeah, like, and that's very common in libraries. Like it's, exactly, it's a lot of ladies for real. For
1: definitely, um, I, I know. I know when I, I worked here, you know, I it was very awesome to see a lot of women working here and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, his comments didn't stop her. She's like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I love what I'm doing. So I'm going to keep doing what I do. And then maybe eventually I'll work for ALA or do all those other cool things. Um, so she ended up being elected in 1895 as the executive secretary of the first Vermont Library Commission. Quite a mouthful. <laughs> But she was in a very, very high elected position to yeah. where she had a lot of influence on the community. So she like built libraries, she mm-hmm. built institutions, and she improved the libraries in just that little small area so much that a man by the name of Edward W. Mealy from uh, Washington County in Maryland, okay. <laughs> he hired her to be... Um, the head librarian of his new Ooh. library called Washington County Free Library.
0: <laughs> so this is like cross-state line. Yes,
1: yeah. She moved uh, away in February 1901 is when she became that head librarian. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And and to give more context, uh, basically, especially in that area, the, wa- the Washington County, they didn't really have access to books very Mm -hmm. often and so this was a newly built library people were very hesitant about it they're like why are you building a library here no one is going to read we're too hardworking. you know it's for for people that you know just want to go and research all day or be idle or things yeah
0: (laughs) the the fancy people who don't have actual things exactly
1: and so there was a lot of convincing especially since they pulled her from out of state Mm -hmm. to be like hey what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here and why? And so, and it was also the second county library in the United States at the time too. Ooh. Yeah. That was the second one. So this is like really when libraries are starting to emerge. It's kind of, yeah. which is kind of crazy to me to think that libraries have not been around.
0: Well, there that were, long. <laughs> like you said, there were like academic kind of libraries yeah. and I think private libraries, like yes. where you had to pay. I think that was, which is crazy populating. to me
1: to think, but yeah. yeah, for sure. And like the, the, the average Joe, you know, I guess I could say with air quotes, didn't have access to that or had no interest yeah. in learning. So, but you know, of course, uh, with all of her experience that she did have under her belt, it was, of course, a, a success. Um, she enjoyed loving uh, doing what she did. People loved her. They really saw her passion and everything. And so, despite all the passion she had, she still felt she wasn't reaching people out in the community. So, mm-hmm. like uh, at this time, you know, it is the mid 19th century, about to, all, like I guess the the depression is like thirty like twenty years away, but okay. still you know it's it's in the poor areas of the the county it was very very poor very mm-hmm. farm very rural and so not a lot of education literacy was very low and everything and she's trying to bring the whole idea of books to yes these people. exactly and so she did a couple things um, that would help spread books out to them um she uh really believed that people everyone should have access to the library so she actually opened the first children's room in the library which is the first in the nation she was the one that that thought children need to have access to books so she's like why not Mm -hmm. you know and why not open a room for them um she gave village schools uh actual rotating books and photos from the library to help generate that whole idea um she did storytelling hours in remote areas so going out to people and giving children stories, which was really, really interesting. Um, She also set up 44 book deposit stations. You know, kind of uh, echoing what you spoke about earlier.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so like the centers. Yes,
1: the centers. But these were actual little like, like literally like, you know, like our drop-off box okay. kind of. It would be kind of like that. Like you could open it up in like a cabinet and pull out books oh, okay. and stuff. So like, yeah. like little free libraries. Yeah, like little free libraries. Okay. Yeah, it was really cool. Like they would be in post offices, country stores. And like if she couldn't find a place to put it, she would put it in like people's houses. Be like, hey, please just please let people have access to these books yeah yeah that is very similar to the the traveling oh for sure so um and they were everywhere and within five years she set up 44 of those and stuff so she really tried to expand her reach out into the community But despite all her hard work, in 1905, she felt she still wasn't reaching those people in the outer county. And so what she did, she came up with the idea of a horse-drawn book wagon.
0: Oh, okay. That's where it
1: started. Um, And one of her famous quotes is, The book goes to the man. We do not wait for the man to come to the book.
0: Oh, I like that. So she goes
1: straight to them. You know, and to us, to me, when I was reading this, I'm like, it doesn't necessarily sound that revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, but we have such an easy access to books.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It it feels very much like early 2020 when we were all shut down and we like upped all of our digital subscriptions and it's like get as many books exactly we'll do whatever we can to get you these books for sure like here everywhere
1: at books everywhere Mm. it's just so funny to me but she didn't really have to fight too hard because people already loved her the library board actually obtained a andrew carnegie gift of two thousand five hundred dollars to fund a wagon so, which is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, so this, this was definitely at the time of a lot of librarian history happening. You know, with Andrew Carnegie, he's starting to, to give money to to build libraries and then uh, just everything else happening. So it's yeah. very interesting how it's coinciding together. So let's see. I have a lot of specific information about these, so I don't know how much. Let's see. Uh, the very first one, the very first horse-drawn book wagon, mm-hmm. it held 200 books and then had cases of books to drop off at those book deposit stations. Okay. Um, it was painted black and the doors and the the big wheels uh, were painted red.
0: Oh, so you're like you're gonna notice that. Yeah, when you're it comes gonna notice
1: town. so much the fact that um uh, several people in the outer county they were like, you don't need to bring that hearse up here like people thought it was a hearse <laughs> at some points um and so she ended up painting on the side washington county free library you know and really helping <laughs> to say hey this we're not coming here to take your dead," you know yeah. <laughs> kind of thing um and it was the maiden voyage was in april of 1905 driven by joshua thomas he was the actual driver of this and then for the next five years it carried books to people all over washington county and it kind of oh. went on from there accident uh 1910 where it actually became a bookmobile, so they mm-hmm. went from being horse drawn to an actual car, and then of course okay. they uh, held more books and they got a new driver and all these cool things. They actually tripled their route, so they were able, oh, to, wow. yeah, and they were able to cover more ground that way. And then in 1913 an even larger vehicle was needed. <laughs> so it just kept growing and growing. And the really interesting thing about the last vehicle, it carried 500 books. So there's a lot more books, but also had an extra seat in the in the car. Mm-hmm. So the politicians, other librarians, and all these other people came to observe what the Aww. bookmobile was. So I don't know in my my mind, like Eleanor Roosevelt, I imagine uh-huh. she was on that oh, road yeah. trip. That's I, not a he- historical fact or anything, but that's what I'm picturing in my head. <laughs>
0: I, I'm now fully picturing that yes. as well.
1: <laughs> and despite Dewey's hesitance with her, mm-hmm. they ended up they ended up becoming friends, which is great because she ended up being the second vice president to ALA back in 1914. So she ended up getting what she kind of hoped for in the beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah. By 1922, they spread bookmobile spread all over the United States. With the second one actually mm-hmm. being in uh, Plainsville Public Library in Indiana. Oh, nice. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. Basically local. I, yeah, basically local. So. Yeah, That's the bookmobile, man. Uh, I had no idea it had that much history to it. Mm-hmm. Um, all thanks to Mary Letmist Titcomb. So she's a pretty cool lady, yeah. Really passionate. Now, I see you have a book I do have a book with me. <laughs> I do. This book, um, it's actually a children's book. It's called Library on Wheels Mary Letmist Titcomb and America's First Bookmobile. It's by Charlie Glenn, and um, you can actually get it here at EVPL. Mm-hmm. It uh, really goes through her life and really tells you in depth about all the really cool things that she's done. It was a really big help for me because she has a lot of cool things that happened in her life. So you Yeah, know. and you have to like sort through that. Exactly, all. exactly. So you can definitely get this here at the library and, and give it a check out because it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's really interesting how those two topics kind of um, overlap with each other. You know, oh, Starting yeah, definitely. from like, back in the 1850s all the way up to mm-hmm. the 30s, so...
0: Mm-hmm. And you can definitely see, like, the bookmobile, so that, I didn't realize that yeah. started before the Great Depression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see, like, those policies probably influence that whole system as oh, well. Oh, probably, yeah. It's all got to start somewhere, so.
1: That. <laughs> now I have a book I'm opening up to some pictures. They're in black and white, but you can really see how big the wheels are.
0: Yeah.
1: and uh, Which is so comical to me and how many books that were there. Just tons of bookshelves on the outside. <laughs>
0: It definitely looks a lot different than, like, a modern bookmobile. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so, yeah, we have all these great nonfiction books mm-hmm. on these topics. If you do also want some fiction, as I stated before, The Bookwoman of Troublesome Creek is a good one. Uh, Jojo Moyles also wrote a book, The Giver of Stars, that's about a similar kind of thing. I know when it comes to Mary, she is kind of one of those, a,
1: a woman that was kind of hidden in history. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know more about the bookmobile than you do her. Yeah, um, So there wasn't too much, it was really hard to find, like extensive knowledge on who she was so this book library on wheels served as a primary source for me but our uh, online resources oh yeah catalog and stuff like that was fantastic a lot of articles that talk
0: about her from like the 1800s so definitely check out these books and other uh, great books on famous women throughout history here at evpl at any of our locations we also have some fun stuff going on this month stringtown will be hosting a month-long trivia quiz so if you swing by at any time and complete that you will be entered for a chance to win a prize and uh, over at oakland on uh, thursday march 23rd there
1: will be an author talk with autumn bones uh, it's on her new book called unsolved indiana murder mysteries bizarre deaths and unexplained disappearances so that should be interesting
0: yeah mm-hmm. so any true crime fanatics yes, definitely check that for out. sure <laughs> Well, Faith, it was great to talk with you. Yes, thank you for having me. It was great. Yeah, I definitely learned a lot. Oh, same here, this. yeah. And we'll have to have you back on sometime. Oh,
1: yeah, please have me. Yeah, I love uh, doing research, and I really enjoyed learning about Mary over here, so...
0: If our listeners have any questions or comments, you can send them to podcast at evpl.org. Let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts about what we've been talking about today. And with that, we'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye.